Thor Ackerlin, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is Master Daniel Piscina. Get over here to Video Game Bullshit. This is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys. Hey, hey. I'm big into uh, no-death runs, high-score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. So we're going to talk about YouTubers ruining the retro collecting community. <laughs> All right. Sounds like an interesting topic. Let's dive in, shall we? I guess the the root of making a YouTube channel would be where to start. So what causes someone to make a YouTube channel in the first place? Yeah, definitely got to dig into the the psyche of what drives somebody to go on YouTube. Making a channel and just going on YouTube in general, because... You know, if you're finding lots of stuff going to flea markets, getting awesome finds, it's become something of of interest, you know. I I can film this and people can learn from this. So it's essentially a learning tool, a lot like uh, American Pickers, uh, Mm -hmm. even even Pawn Stars, even though, you know, that's like rigged. But they're still like showing you an item and bringing back the historical relevance of it and how much it's worth and all that. So... That's why it's the History Channel thing. But, yeah, there's that people want to know, and it's kind of evolution, you know, intellectual evolution, if you will. If you will. If you will. So the first thing we'll do is we'll quantify why we're talking about this, which um, Sean Long, the Shlong himself, RGT85, um, did a video on this. Uh, basically, YouTubers ruining the retro gaming. And... I'm, we're using for the, the live stream, we're using his, uh, banner and put a little VGBS podcast things. It's our little aspect of it. But it's his banner because it's a response to his video. Um, what happened was there was a, a guy on Facebook, um, and since we hold no punches, we'll call him out. Um, Mr. Wizard Reproductions was talking about the good old days. And basically what he was talking about and he wasn't necessarily talking about YouTubers ruining retro gaming. He was talking about, have YouTubers ruined video game collecting? And he was comparing it to the the good old days when he used to be able to go get stuff at the flea market for nothing. And now everybody and their mother is hunting for games. And it's clouded the whole community and changed everything. Now, I have a lot of different aspects. We've been chatting about this shit, schoolyard style, all week. Um, so we definitely got to dig into multiple different aspects. Um, first of all, I want to dig into what you talked about, the why somebody creates a YouTube channel. Yeah, um, roots. But I also want to dig into collecting itself. We've talked about collecting, but we need to dig into it again because here's the thing. Is because people are passionate enough and doing YouTube on it, is, did that cause it to dry up, or is it just a finite thing? That's what we got to talk about. All right. Like, so, so basically, would games be dry regardless? And it's, it's poignant because we kind of do this every season in a way where we look at the market and the community as a whole and kind of reevaluate the whole situation because it's always changing. So that's why it's, always cool to do something like this because last year it was different than it is this year it's always changing it's always the same in a way too so yeah oh absolutely lots to talk about lots to drool over and lots to (laughs) bullshit about motherfucker so mr wizard reproductions obviously 
has a business off of retro gaming. He's the guy who made the awesome uh, Ghost new Ghostbusters 2 with the ooze inside the clear cartridge and does oh, some really cool. fancy stuff. So the funny thing was is when he did this post, you know, Sean Long was going back and forth with them and like basically because Mr. Wizard used generalities, he basically tore him apart. But then tagged Billy from the Game Chasers in there, and because he literally called out, Mr. Wizard literally called out the Game Chasers and the Angry Video Game Nerd for bringing about attention and quote-unquote ruining the tips of the trade. I didn't write down the, the quote, so I'm using air quotations, which you can't see because we're doing audio only. <laughs> but um, but basically, like they've given away all the tips, is what they're saying, which is also hilarious. So I think we should start, though, with what was it like in the good old days to collect... And then the, then we'll dig into the dichotomy. Because I figure if we establish what collecting is, then we establish what YouTubers are and why they do it, then we could bring it together. And there's a lot of little aspects we can throw in there, too, as we're going. Cool. There we go. That's our starting point. Go! Well, the first thing I think of is Funko Land immediately. Just looking at that scene, uh, way different. Totally different. So you had, let's say, um, stadium events wasn't really thought of as this uber rare deal. It was, you know, 25 cents in the Funko Land catalog, the, the little uh, free paper that they would give you, basically. Yeah. And so that was 25 cents. Okay, so like DuckTales 2 was $15. Um, I still have one of these, too. I should actually scan it and just like post it, make a PDF of it. I'm sure there's ones online too. But yeah, so then the big rares at that time were like River City Ransom and Super Dodgeball. Those were 20 to $25. And that was like the most that it ever got. That was like the Funko Land Prime, basically. Now, something that's interesting about mentioning Funko Land and the paper is that they literally had to stop doing that eventually because other businesses were, were taking those papers and pricing their games cheaper. That's what I would do, too, though. Yeah, exactly. So they literally had to stop doing that, though, because because of that. So the other thing is is that resellers have existed way before video games. It's called, you know, flea markets, and it's called, you know, antique shops. That shit has been around forever. But it has, though. You're right. Like, there's nothing new about that. And a lot of times, they're not looking at it as a game. They're looking at it as dollar signs. They're not in the games, whatever. They're selling whatever they can get. So if they get a box of uh, useless shit, well, if they can make a dime on it, it's not useless anymore. It doesn't matter if it's a Turbo Graphics or, you know, it's Mama's fucking doilies. Like, if they can make money on it, they can make money on it. So there's a whole different... Then you have the guys who know they can make money on games when it gets trendy and stuff. But, I mean, yeah. if that's what how they survive, like, to each his own, which we have talked about before. And it's, it's like, it's the whole thing, like, what are you going to do anyway? Are you going to, like, beat me up or something? Like, that's the other thing. <laughs> like, how do you stop... How do you stop anything? That's kind of the thing about not even arguing about it. People argue and argue and argue. Oh, they go nuts. They go crazy. And what's even the point? Like, what are you going to do? Like, go up to the house with your controller swinging? No, <laughs> you're not going to do a thing. No, but they're, they're blaming capitalism for ruining retro gaming. And, and, like, this isn't even the YouTuber aspect yet. This is just the reseller aspect. Yeah. Now... Cause, cause, cause typically what Mr. Wizard Reproductions is blaming is that YouTubers are making the resellers smarter. Sure. If they're so inclined, they have a resource. I mean, sure, they've, they've brought focus or whatever, but there's one thing that's come up in the last, you know, 20 years that is never noted. That's the resource. That they never think about, that he didn't think about. It's called the internet. And not even, and not even the internet, but smartphones, aka a computer we can carry in our pocket when we're out looking for games. So, basically, we have super resellers out there now, comparatively to the 80s and 90s. Those guys would literally have to go ground pound, do the old classic, you know, yard sales, flea markets, 
um, estate sales and you know storage unit auctions. They'd have to do all that stuff, but now you literally have a phone where you can evaluate shit on the fly. And with the introduction of the internet, I mean, if you're going to blame YouTubers, you might as well blame websites. Websites do articles on this shit too, right? How did we all figure out about stadium events on fucking line? Back in the day, you didn't have a resource. That's why no one knew about it. And it was a wild, wild west back then. And then you hit the era where you had computers, not iPhones yet, but you had computers. And then we were learning more. We had the resource. We could go online, game FAQs. Hopefully on YouTube there's a video back in the day. But at least game FAQs, you could research and see what other people have said about it. Now we get to the age now where the flea market dude's checking his thing. He's like, no, no, it's $4, not $2. So it's hard to find even a deal now because everyone is connected. Including the sellers. Back in the day, it's like everything on this table is a dollar, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. But nowadays, they know what each and every item is and... That's just what you get what you get. It's just progression, evolution. We can't stop it. There's no sense to even complaining about it. That's what I'm saying. You just you just got to watch it go. As as Dimebag said, just watch it go, man. Get your pole and watch it go. That's just how it is. That's just evolution in action. Just try to get your piece and get your part. Jeff and I, we, we got our piece. Yeah, exactly. We are fucking good. We got so much over the years, and we scrounged for that. Sometimes it came luckily, sometimes it didn't, but either way, we, we did what we had to do, and it was fun the whole time, and that's the whole thing, I, my thing, like, just dive in and do what you can. You might as well do it now, because this stuff is finite. It's 100% finite, and the thing is, is that, like, regardless of the internet, like, games would have dried up regardless, but... I think with the focus and the internet and smartphones, things have gotten progressed a lot quicker than it would have without them. Like, the Wild West went away, essentially, which is unfortunate. (laughs) It's growing at, like, such a fast rate that it's, you know, just... It's exploding on itself. That's, That's just how the universe works, man. Exponential rate. Now, the counter to all this is that there's obviously, with the connectivity of the world, the world becoming smaller with the introduction of the Internet, there is some good. And, like, basically how I see it is, is that old man Withers and Grandma Moses that are sitting there cleaning (laughs) out their their garage... Grandma Moses. They're going to be able to, quote-unquote, check those items online, and maybe they won't throw out a classic you know, a classic game. And that's the other aspect. Um, we're getting um, multiple fuck stadium events in the chat, by the way, which is hilarious. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I don't have it either. Exactly, man. There's only two games that I need, Flintstones 2 and, and that one, and I'm not. I'm probably not going to get either of them. It's just not worth it at this point. Like, fuck that. Fuck that noise. <laughs> uh, we would have to randomly come across it in the wild. But but the thing is, is that the preservation aspect, so something that is truly rare may be saved. Now, somebody's going to have to pay up the ass for it, of course, but at least it won't go into the trash. There's a guy like Terry Dieboat that will go through and be able to find, um, you know, the Super Nintendo CD and know to, you know, market that shit and go to conventions yep. to show it off and let people see a piece of history because it's only one of a kind. <laughs> you know, and his son, Dan's the one who brought it to it. So so Larry Incorporated 64 said, For me, I found out about retro games from from getting a Nintendo DS. Then I Googled Nintendo and found out about Nintendo. So 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 the thing is is that, you know, that's literally the internet aspects. Now, they're starting to talk a little bit about YouTubers. Okay. So, YouTubers and retro gaming being a double-edged sword. So, what do you think about that, Kyle? What do you think about it being a good and a bad? Is there a good? Is there a bad? As far as being a video poster or a video viewer, what do you say? A, vi- a video poster. Well, that's the time that you spend... <laughs> can uh, fuck up relationships and fuck up your job. I mean, it depends. There's a lot of time that you need to devote to that shit, especially because retention, 
people, you know, they only view the newest thing, most people, of course. They always tend to just view the newest thing. They don't tend to dig. They don't tend to go back. That's just how it is. So you have to rely on retention. You have to rely on those people looking at new videos over and over again. So it's basically like a career, a second career. So, so let's, um, let's scale back, dig into why people make a YouTube video. Yeah. And to me, somebody who spends hundreds of hours editing and coming up with content and writing scripts and doing, you know, the recordings and all of that, I literally figure out that those guys may be some of the most passionate gamers when it comes to retro gaming. Yeah, each person's different, and each person's a little, you know, has a different incentive for what they do. So, specifically what um, the Mr. Wizard Reproductions was talking about was literally um, that the Anger Video Game Nerd, every time they review a game, that game shoots up in price. Whether that be temporarily or permanently, it becomes a focus. People go out to try to collect it because the quote-unquote nerd talked about it. Um, and then they talked about the game chasers during the early season when they collected, and they showed Little Samson and Flintstones too, and getting them super cheap. They got really lucky in the in the beginning, man. That's awesome, though. It's amazing. Good for them. And the key that he was saying is is that they were showing these game stores, quote unquote, slipping, and then we have the issues of the game stores getting smart because they're going to check every game now to make sure that they're not slipping and let another uh, Flintstones 2 slip through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Yeah, because, well, and all the people as far as the influx with the AVGN stuff, like, how many views did those videos get in comparison to, like, any other video? Yeah. Ten times the amount at least. So that's the whole thing. Like, all the people that are watching that now, Action 52 is the classic that everyone talks about. Mm -hmm. Once that, that one came out, oh, people didn't know about it until, boom, it was thrown in your face, and then you're like, oh, there's this other whole world of unlicensed, whacked-out fucking carts that I can buy, you know? So then it kind of, like, awoke something in people, and it's just how it goes, man. But I, th I think it's fucking cool, like, well, exactly, and so <laughs> there's another thing that Chasing the Classics mentioned in the chat. He said, I went out looking for games today in a town with less than 200 people in the middle of nowhere in Texas. A 70-year-old lady told me that Nintendo games are popular because she saw it on Storage Wars. So there's been mm -hmm. multiple episodes of Storage Wars. There was an older one where this this one guy who I think he like committed suicide recently or something. Really? But, but Jesus this Christ. this dude was like pricing the Nintendo at like $500 and he was like completely <laughs> crazy with his pricing. God. But there's another another Storage Wars episode recent one with this Renee guy who I think's out in Texas. I'm not sure. I mean, I I mean Storage Wars I think's out in Cali in Texas. But anyways, the Renee guy got with a YouTuber, went to a storage auction, and found legitimate ones, legitimately priced it, and brought a another focus on it. And it's the same thing with uh, Pat the NES Punk going on um, the, what, what is it, the Pawn Stars. Pawn Stars, With his yeah. Nintendo World Championships, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. as far as I know, that was a complete, like, they brought in Pat to have him on the episode. Oh, that's a work, 100%. It was 100% pro wrestling freaking kayfabe. It was not a shoot. Not a shoot at all. It was a complete work. But it brought, you know, focus on the games and let that show show off some cool Nintendo history. Um, the funny thing was, is they brought in a quote-unquote expert who was like a game store owner that was less knowledgeable than Pat was. So that, that That's what I thought was pretty ironic. Yeah, because Pat is the expert, like, in that case. Exactly. All that show is, it's like a History Channel lesson to show you, you know, what this random item is. It's totally a work. Actually... American Pictures is similar where they don't even, like, travel together. All that stuff is just shot. They actually, like, meet and do, like, the whole filming and everything like that. And everything's arranged, but they make it look like they're just walking on this property. Yeah. But it's actually, they've they've already talked to the guy. and they've. I mean, it has to be that way. It's 
that's the thing with that wrestling has taught us that like why is the cameraman behind the stage then the backstage <laughs> at the perfect time when this is happening well because it's fucking scripted if it's not scripted it's a mess if it's not edited it's a fucking mess and that's just how it works exactly. that's just how everything especially with the reality tv they have like hundreds and hundreds of hours and they just chisel it down to like what they want and that's where they uh there's a lot of people thinking that the uh, the game chasers were doing something like that but they absolutely weren't. <laughs> they just got really lucky and started filming. Oh, yeah. Like, we have two, though. You know, I found a little Samson, too, so... If you've watched the Game Chaser since the Samson Flintstones 2, there's been some awesome pickups, but nothing that quote-unquote legendary, because that shit is rare. Yeah, you just <laughs> never know, though. Like, Yeah. Now, they found really cool stuff. So one thing that uh, Larry is saying, because Larry from... Our Discord chat is over on YouTube. Larry's saying that a lot of these rare games were good, but never found an audience. And with the internet, people brought attention to them, and they did so after the fact. They got rare after the fact. So, obscure games. And, I mean, that's what a hidden gem is. But the thing is, is that a bad thing? I mean, if you're looking to, you know, quote-unquote, get the best deal for the easiest way possible, the laziest way possible, well then, sure, you're going to be a little bit angry that, oh, the price went up because Mike Matei and the nerd talked about a freaking rare game, or the Game Chasers showed about showed it on their show, or Sean Long's talking about it now, because i got to give Sean Long a shout-out since he started this topic. But, like, because they did that, that's not their fault. Fault. It's that they're bringing attention to it. They're bringing a love to it. You know what I mean? Like they're they're creating entertainment out of it that we can enjoy. They're playing out their their passion, and we're seeing it just like we are right now. And it's kind of like saying, you know, one of our episodes, you know, brought light to something. Well, it's gonna happen. I mean, if we know something, I think it's my duty to tell everybody and for future generations too like that's what we're here for exactly it's basically like an old stone tablet you find you know a fucking pyramid like okay this is how they did it this is how it was this is what this is it's a time capsule because we're not going to be here forever we're going to be fucking dust Mm -hmm. but this hopefully hopefully this will remain and that's the thing that's what it's for Retro gaming will remain because we fucking love it. That's why we're doing the podcast. That's why, you know, I write books on this shit. That's why, you know, we're running websites and doing all this crazy shit and why people are actually taking the time to chat with us here because freaking retro gaming's badass. That's another thing. Yeah, they don't have to be doing that either. That's like totally not. Nope. And so what so what uh what Shad Juice wrote was I think the ones ruining retro gaming are the ones crying about it. 
And I absolutely agree. That's what I was saying. You can't complain about progress. It's fucking evolution. Exactly. It's the universe at work. You can't do anything about it. It's going to happen. And it's going to unfold the way it's going to. You know, it is what it is. And, and in all reality, like, they're helping create, like, YouTube has helped create a new nostalgia. They brought together thousands, millions of people. Conventions. Yeah, and, and they've established, like, conventions were a thing, but now retro gaming conventions, there was 20,000 people at both Midwest Gaming and Too Many Games this year. It's freaking insane. Nuts. So, of course, you're going to have less out there. I mean, yeah. do the math, you know? And I don't even blame resellers because, you know what? If I was, if my business was to sell video games and the prices go up, I'm going to charge the correct prices because it's my business and people are paying it. So why wouldn't you put it? Like if, you know, if people aren't paying it, then you don't do it. But it's, it's craziness. Yeah. You're putting food on your family's table. That's the other side of it where you got to play devil's advocate sometimes. You really do. People always see it on, on one side, but that, that's not the wise way to view it. You have to see it from both sides. And everyone is justified, because if you have skin in the game, whatever that may be, you're justified in your own actions, and that's just how it is. You have to be. Yeah, exactly. And and Mr. Tight White <laughs> in, chat, in chat says, I don't think I am personally ruining retro gaming, because my buddy found Cookies and Cream, which is a rare game, on the PS2 Sweet. for three bucks. And you're 100% right. Those are the fun times. Those are the best times. The fucking memories, man. Oh, I love it. That's why we do what we do, man. It's that fucking rush. Oh, oh, what a rush. Oh, what a rush. You will find stuff. The thing, shit is still out there. Now, now here's the thing. I think it might even make hunts and finds like that even better because now think about the, how many more people are looking for games and he's still found a fucking deal. That's what's great. And and here's the thing, if it was t- if it was too easy, it wouldn't be as cool. Now you're still going to find it. Um cookies and cream, if somebody asked it, is it rare? It's it's rarer than $3. But someone was happy. That's all that matters that you were fulfilled and you had a great time and that's a memory now. See, that's what we always talk about. It's nostalgic to you. That's a memory. Because you experienced it, and it's a fun time. It's a fun thing. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. That's why we're into this stuff, other than actually playing the games itself. But that's what the other side of collecting is all about. Well, exactly. The other side of collecting is, you know, the hunt. I have a buddy. He was a part of the Retro Raiders, Wiz. He was all about the hunt. Like, he would hunt down some rare-ass arcades, Neo Geo shit, and then he would go and sell it because after the hunt, he's like, well, I've played it. I'm going to get rid of it. And then he moves on to the next thing. Like Cousin Brian. It's essentially a paperweight now. And, I mean, Larry's over here talking about that he found Dragon Force on the Saturn uh, for a dollar disc only. And it was in, like, a Metal Gear Solid case. Like, like that's the thing, though. Um, the, the fines are still out there. And, I mean, Larry, that could have been Larry a few years ago. But... You could go out right now, randomly, the luck of the draw, and find something. But the difference is, at least in my area, there's at least four hardcore collectors that are out daily. Because I see it in the local Facebook groups. Hey, I went out today and found this. And it's like usually nothing super rare, but they're finding shit. And I work a full-time job. And I'm, you know, working on books. And we do the cast. And, like, so we don't go out and hunt like we used to. But, like, I still could go out once a month and still find something. What that makes me think of is, like, those times where we've actually been on both sides of the scope where we've been on, went to the flea markets early, and then we saw someone else searching for what we had, and they're like, oh, dude, where'd you find that? And then there's the one where we see what the guy's got, and we're like, fuck. He's like, I just got this, like, a few minutes ago. Like, oh, man, if we would have got up a few minutes earlier. So that that's everything else, too. That everything counts in large amounts, man. Like, there's small little details, and you never know who's out there. Maybe that guy had what you were looking for, so he didn't need it. Now you get it. Maybe he didn't. Now you don't get it there's so many variables that's the other thing and thinking back and justifying mr wizard reproductions at least 
thought process of the good old days is it's more so that back in the day, we were kind of spoiled being retro gaming obsessed. We've always been 8 and 16-bit obsessed when it comes to retro. And right. a little bit less of 32 and 64-bit. But we've always been like that. So we would go see the classic Barn and Field flea market and seeing Miney Mo, which was our classic guy. He was like, Miney Mo, come on. Couldn't even understand what the fuck he was saying. Seriously. But this dude had Famicom and converters and adapters and rare ass shit before we even knew that stuff existed. Boxed instructions, good condition. But that was like in the middle of Podunk, Indiana in the cornfields. It was like, what the fuck? Where do we we just found like, you know, the diamond in the rough, as they say. Exactly. And like I mean that's where we're getting like shit like Keltron and <laughs> and uh, and stuff like Zelda on the Famicom disc system. Yeah, they had a secret scout, like holy shit, dude. The sharp controllers, two of them. For a dollar. Yeah, like rare as shit for a dollar. Like I had to rehab them, but the shells were okay. The insides were all fucked up. That was fun, too. The key is is that, you know, that's what Mr. Wizard is reminiscing about. And nowadays, it went from that, and then, like, you know, ten years later, it became, we're going over to, you know, local game stores and finding... A panic restaurant in Little Samson in the cases, but they're like 60 bucks, and we're like, God damn, that's expensive. <laughs> if we only knew, you know. But luckily, you, you pulled the trigger, but um, on some of the rarer ones, but we would see this shit all the time still. And then when, you know, YouTube populated, you know, another 10 years later, it got super freaking crazy. Everybody said, Oh, this shit actually is kind of uncommon because one pops up a year on eBay. That's the funny thing. Yeah, we have to stop here and just evaluate that whole situation because, like, when I went to, to Disc Replay, Little Samson, it's under 100 bucks, And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I didn't buy it, though. And then I drive home and I look it up and I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't even know about it. It's weird. Like, there's yeah. just so many fucking games in the system. Even when you're a collector and everything like that, uh, I always recognize it either by the label or the logo. It, that, oh, I've seen this before. I was like, oh, this is new, you know. So, yeah, it was already like two to $300. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Well, this is, I've never seen this before. I've been collecting for a long time. Kind of like Snow Brothers. We, I've, I've only seen like two in the wild. And one's been like, one was supremely fucked up. Yeah. But I've only seen two in the wild. So there are certain games that just are truly rare. I mean, just are fucking obscure. Like, nobody bought it in the first place. And then, when it's a good game, then it increases the, the variable, like, 110%. Now everyone wants it, and it didn't exist in the first place, barely. You know, it was in the cobweb corner of Walmart or Kmart, because yeah. the SNES had just come out in the 1991, and all those new games kind of got put to the corner, because everyone's into the new stuff. People don't go back. It's classic. It all. That's always the, the constant, but... So, yeah, that's the madness of the little Samson where it's like, well, I, I better go back to disc replay, like, right now. And and you did. <laughs> yeah, immediately, you know. It was like, okay, the fact that I just, like, let it sitting there, like, it was a whole different world. Nowadays, that shit wouldn't even be on the shelf. You know, it would be, like, behind the fucking store, like, oh, we, we have this game. But, I mean, that's how it works. Well, the, the key is, is number one... You know, now people know that it's rare, so ev nobody gets rid of them, number one. Back in the day, everybody's just getting getting rid of the crap in their garage. Now everybody's picked it up. It's a common thread in the knowledge system, yeah. It's like a stream of consciousness, like a hive mind mentality where everyone develops the same uh, mindset. Because we're all part of the same community. Exactly. And And you say it would be in the back. I say that the... It wouldn't even leave the store. Like it wouldn't. It would either go to the workers. Yeah, that's the other thing we gotta talk about. Because the workers are collectors. Because they're there to pull shit in. Or the game own the game store owner is a collector and just keeps all the rare shit for himself. I mean, that's how the the guy in Tennessee who has every single freaking prototype <laughs> is. He has them all because he's been. Uh, 
collecting for and had the game store for 20 years. That's the other thing. So if you work at a Goodwill and you see all these games and you like games, you're going to fucking buy them. Like, don't tell yeah. me you're not going to get stadium events when it comes in in a box or nothing. I Like, no one, you know, who has any shred of fucking intelligence would ever pass up that that fucking situation and that's the whole thing about it yeah like you would totally get it and that's what's happening now now everyone knows and even if they don't like games hey i can still make money on this i'm, I'm working at goodwill uh, they're not paying me enough that's my justification i'll sell these games online i'm gonna get what i should be paid you know that's the other thing where people have that too <laughs> and that's another thing that game stores do is that they'll literally have a lot of the rare shit just online because not only is it you can sell it for more online than in your store, but number two is is that if you have something super rare in your glass case, it's more enough to get broken into because somebody's going to want that shit and not want to pay $6,000 <laughs> for freaking stadium events. They're just going to break into the thing and just take it, which is uh, a liability when you run a brick and mortar. But, I mean, to say that the actual YouTube gaming community or certain channels are ruining game collecting is is ridiculous. I was thinking about it today, like, in this way. So, if someone posted one of our podcasts and they got a lot of views on it, just some random YouTube channel. So, there's there's two schools of thought. Number one, I'm I'm pissed off, you know. They, they posted our shit. The other school yeah. of thought is, this guy has a lot of subscribers, and he just put us into the fucking spotlight. So, see, that's the thing. Which side do you take? I would take the spotlight. This is more eyes, ears, <laughs> hearing yeah. our podcast. So, what's that's actually a great thing. I'd probably thank the guy and be like, post more. Other than, you know, going crazy and yelling at him. But, see, which side do you take? That's where it gets crazy, too, where people just act on their instinct and, no, fuck that guy, you know. No, man. He's actually making your shit, you know, heard by more people. Like, so you have to look at it. You have to think about it. That was the whole thing, too. When you get pissed off, think about something for, like, 24 hours and then act on it. The other aspect is why do people collect? So that guy may collect to get things for bottom dollar and that's why he's mad whereas the guy's creating content like creating youtube channels or podcasts we are all about the story i could give a shit if i get a game for a dollar or two because i'll find it eventually for that dollar because i like the hunt just like you like the hunt i don't give a shit about having to wait a little bit that's okay i'll still find a little Samson cheap. It just might take me ten years. I don't care. I don't. I can play it on a variety of different things. We've talked about emulation in the past. I can play it, so I'll get it eventually. I mean, we technically we already have the damn thing. But what I'm saying is, is like something like a, a stadium events or Flintstones too. We'll find it. It's just if we actively want to go look for it is arbitrary at this point. And in chat, they're talking about that. Uh, chasing the classics actually found a stadium events for 99 cents there we go old school funko land style <laughs> the the other thing that you were kind of subliminally alluding to <laughs> oh yeah subliminally Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs> is just that you can't you can't put a price on certain things i mean you, you just can't and that's that's what it's all about really like the things that we really remember the things that we even make the podcast about are generally the things that are really strong with our either nostalgia or memory. So, yeah, it's it's really all about going out there and having fun. Even if you don't get anything, even if you don't find shit, as long as you have fun, you can't look at it like, oh, I didn't find anything, this sucks. No, fuck that. Like, you just go out there and have a good time, and that's really, like, the bulk of it. So, so Larry has a good point about emulation, and he says that the thing actually hurting video game prices on certain systems, like the Saturn, is the lack of good emulation or modern ports of those games. So basically, the only way to play a lot of Saturn games is via emulation. However, we've talked about modding before. Like, literally, we have the tape mod on our Saturn. We can do the disc swap and play Burns. So I can still play 
games on my Saturn, if I, if push comes to shove and I need to play a game perfectly, I will. And, I mean, I've been collecting Saturn forever, so I have a majority of the games, at least U.S., that I want, and I have Radiant. So, like, I'm pretty well covered on my Saturn stuff, but it's, like, one of those things where, you know, like, if there's a will, there's a way, but we've both established many times we both have more games than we'll ever get to in our lifetime. We've been collecting so long that we haven't taken the time to appreciate them, and we're still collecting as it is. I've kind of focused more on homebrew, and you've focused on, like, extra pieces to the collection to make it look even crazier, and whether that be video games or 80s, 90s nostalgia. Yeah, any of it. And so I always say when I'm at conventions, I'm collecting quote-unquote cool shit. And I also support all the different homebrew communities. So I just got the new Unholy Night for the Super Nintendo, which is a brand new fighting game made by the guys from who used to work at SNK. Nice. There we God go. damn. God, God damn, damn, pal. Look at those titties. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate titties. <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely uh, anime chicks with titties. <laughs> it's hilarious. And basically, chasing the classics that he found that state of events two years ago, which is still completely modern. That's excellent. I may have even already seen that video. I think I remember it if it's an older video. So it's it's one of those things where we'll find stuff, and we, as we've talked about before, cast a wide net. So I'm not going looking for stadium events. I'm going to look for cool shit. If I find a retro game that we've been looking for for a while, such as at Retro World Expo, which Larry said he hasn't purchased a retro game since then, I got, you know, Lords of Thunder sealed for the TurboGrafx-16 at that convention. Because I was like, holy shit, I'm never going to see that again. Let me pick it up. Yeah, grab that up. Fuck yeah, and and I got Newtopia too in a custom jewel case. Good fucking day. <laughs> the thing is though, is that like casting that wide net, it's cool because then you'll always have a cool story. You'll always find something. You will pretty much always find something, especially if you just keep the whole retro thing. You know, Battle Beasts or He Man shit. You know, GI Joe, old Hasbro WWF figures. You'll find something. I was at um. Out here, Second Avenue. Second Avenue is a giant warehouse, like a Goodwill, but they bring out shit every hour. And I found a moy head little like glass. Easter Island fun. And it looks just like the moy heads from from Grady, so it looks identical. So I use that for like my markers for my when I do book signs. But it's like I found that, and that's just a cool little freaking awesome item that's sitting in my collection, just on top of my red tent right now. Little cool thing. That's what's cool. Too, you could do that either for for Gradius, or you could put it in your fucking tiki bar, and it's still like a, a Gradius piece. Yep. And Larry says he still has tons of games he needs to play. Yeah, don't we all, brother? Going back to the whole issue at hand, like just the editing time that people spend. You know, that's a huge amount of time. You know, you could be spending that doing making money or being with your significant other whatever it is so yep it's not like they're meaning to ruin the community i mean it's they're just taking their passion and putting it somewhere some you know it's more of a popularity contest for them they they might want the views and the money and things like that but some of them you know like us we don't give a shit like about numbers of views if if we've you know affected one person we've done our fucking job like 10 times over but, you know, so it's that thing, too, where you're dealing with all these different personality types. Yeah. I mean, even if it was just you and I and we got no views, we'd still do it. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> it's not about that. Hopefully it becomes, hopefully the fans turn it into their own entity, their own thing. But yeah, it's about creating a time capsule and about... It being there, information being there, and just the memories there for future, you know, generations, and just our stories, and that's what's cool about a podcast. Anyone can do it. Essentially, it's a lot more work with the editing, though, and that goes back to the YouTube. The work and the editing tells me that all these people, in the end, they do have a passion. Whether they want to be the you know the most popular kid in school or not, 
in the core of their being, there's a you know a nucleus of passion there glowing. Exactly, they 100 percent have the passion, and it's also like they got a whole community now around them that appreciate that passion and appreciate what they do. Yeah, which which just helps everybody because then other people see that and that makes them do the same thing, follow suit. Exactly. And it's it's outstanding. But like to to put a little quote unquote bow on the on the uh on the actual subject, I think that games would be dry, quote unquote, or rare, regardless of people talking about them. The internet happened. Technology happened, progression happened. It is a natural part of progression. It's not someone's fault. It's not even technology's fault. It's just gonna happen. It's the universe at work doing what it does. Yeah. Acting out. People are gonna bitch. People are gonna troll. People are gonna, you know, enjoy it. And it's it's a thing. It is what it is. I mean, YouTubers and YouTube channels in general, I think, have done more good than bad. Way more good than bad. I mean, just the convention aspect alone with the community and you know live streams and gaming and everybody just enjoying video games you can't understate that and how about this the entertainment value we've gotten you know all all the little like bowls of cereal and dinners you've you've eaten to like fucking game sack or avgn or you know yada 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 all that shit we, we have to say, it. it's an entertainment value. Like, cool, you know, they posted, like, a new video. Awesome. There's that moment there where you, it's escapism. You're not, you can escape and do something else for a minute and not think about the reality at hand. And that's the other thing. It's ultimately, that's what it's there for. That's why people are looking it up. And, you know, people are going to learn a lot of things. Certain people dig a little further than others. But, yeah, I mean, that's just how it is. And you just got to expect it. But it's a beautiful thing. The fact that the passion exists is a beautiful thing. And let's just keep it fucking going, you know what I mean? The fact is, is that if somebody's going to take that much time, they're passionate. <laughs> Regardless of the motives. Precisely. We definitely have to give a shout out to Sean Long for starting up the crazy um, video on this, which definitely spurred a little bit of a, a movement because there's a lot of people that posted videos online now on this so super freaking cool all right thank you for listening to vgbs we appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast we love it thank you thank you thank you if you want to correspond with us, you can email us at bgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message, um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us, shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!